Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish Gigi Jevenive Squala, the sixth most important financial advisor in the city, Steele. And I'm Jade, exactly the kind of weirdo on the internet your parents warned you about, Rose. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't expect that to tickle you quite so much. Um, And for the first time in what feels like forever, we're in the same room recording an episode. Yeah, it has been a long time, not through want of trying. No, um, and we can't, well, I will complain about Skype quite a lot, but it has allowed us to do some great uh, remote episodes. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple of awesome guests on. Yes. Thanks again to Matt and to Nemo yeah, for yeah, lending yeah. us their voices. We're going to keep trying to have guests. I hope people like the other perspective. Um, yeah. But obviously... We're... As charming as Hamish and I are, sometimes <laughs> it's nice to, you know... Yeah. Like, Neapolitan ice cream has three flavours in it. <laughs> God. Which one am I? I wouldn't pertain to judge. As a, I can think of a solid argument for why I'm each one. <laughs> but in my heart, I'm strawberry. Uh, that's in, fair. In many ways, I'm also very vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> Read that as you wish. Um, so, today, we are going to be a little bit of a quiet before a storm as we um, prepare a little mini series within a series we're going to do. Yeah, we haven't done like a mini series since uh, we had uh, Mel Trenda. Oh yeah, (laughs) the Mel arc. The Mel arc. Um, Yeah, we think, so we are going to do something that we have never done before and that's talk about queer representation in media. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But instead what we're going to do is try and go through, and this is thanks to the response from when we asked for topic ideas. Yeah, thank you, Facebook group. Yeah, we we're gonna you. we're gonna go through different um, patches of the big queer quilt one by one, mm-hmm. um, and just sort of see how they are represented in media specifically. Because quite often we choose a topic and how is queer people represented, and we often find ourselves like with one second to spare being like, and also trans people don't get so. We want to try and give everything its due limelight. Or as much as we're able to do so from our limited perspective and our hour to an hour and 20 minute long yes. podcast. So that means we are going to get some guests on. Yes, we're looking forward to uh, having some people, I say, quote, in the studio with us, on the mic with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess before we get into that conversation, shall we catch up and geek out? Let's. You have more on your list than I do, so well, I think you should get first. <laughs> I, uh, I've put a bunch of thoughts. I wanted to talk briefly about series two of A Series of Unfortunate Events. I've seen, like, GIFs and stuff already, and I've had such good things, I just haven't had the time to watch yet, so no, please. I am, um, yeah, I almost didn't have the time. I finished it yesterday. Nice. Um, they're long episodes, and I think, like the first series, there's definitely a case we made for its pacing issues. Um... And I, I felt it in at the start of the series. I was like, oh, yeah, this show is slow, isn't it? And it doesn't, it still feels slow, even though the books are adapting are quite long. Yeah. Um, but uh, this series is really fun. It's adapting the books of the series that we kind of transition from the repetition of mm. like the Baudelaire's go to a, a different guardian and they count Olaf's in disguise into what the second half of the series is, which is much more about the mystery about the mystery. And like the Baudelaire's are much more like 
on their own. Yeah. Um, and sort of they are the driving force. They're not kind of just being plonked in places. Yeah. Um, but one of the main reasons why this series is so good yeah. is the introduction of fan favourite Esme Squalor, uh, um, <laughs> played terrifically by Lucy Punch. I, I love Lucy Punch. Yeah. She has got one of the best faces. <laughs> she is so expressive. She is someone who revels in her kind of typecast, yes. I think. Yes, agreed. No one kind of does that... Okay, so the, the thing that she reminds me of, and this is because this is like another Barry Sonnenfeld yeah. series thing. Yes. I, is she reminds me so much of Debbie. Yes. But Esme is, I think, it's that like able to do kind of ditzy blonde, but incredibly smart. Yeah. And very cunning. Yes. Um, and whereas Olaf's various disguises are always kind of like grotesque, slightly... Yeah intentionally problematic kind of ideas Uh. Esme always wants to look great yeah and so there's some great examples of like so in one episode she disguises herself as a police woman yeah and she is in like a a, like vinyl azure bodysuit with (laughs) thigh high pink boots and like a Russian accent and like a truncheon and she's so like over the top yeah another great outfit is they all have to all the the evil gang are Mm. um, hospital staff and she's in like a sexy nurse outfit yeah and it's like it's not the show sexualizing her she's like yeah she needs to look good even if it ruins the fact that she's mm. meant to be somebody else and the other thing I love about the character yeah is I've come to terms with the fact that both the movie and this have a very different Count Olaf to the one when I was a kid and read the books I found him actually scary yes whereas both adaptations have really leaned in there yeah um but Esme's actually quite terrifying yeah um and especially in the adaptation of the hostile hospital yeah both her and olaf are like really villainous and have there's a scene that's quite invocative from the books of esme like chasing someone around with a stiletto in both words of the both yeah. use of the word shoe yeah and it's like played full on horror yeah it's really good um cool again i don't i won't give any spoilers away but there's lots of good guest stars my understanding is uh, the character, the the, the oh, horrible little girl, Carmelita Spatz. Yeah, I've heard people like pitching that she should play Claudia in the interview with the Vampire <laughs> TV series that Brian Fuller's going to be doing. Yeah, she's amazing. Mm. It's so it would be so easy to make the annoying like Shirley kid. Temple from Hell kid really annoying. Yeah, um, and she is, but it's pitched so well that like you're really excited when she's on screen yeah i think it helps that i the the people playing the actual baudelaire's i give them credit but i think it's quite hard for them they're they're written in such a way that it's quite hard to have them be the best characters yeah because they're surrounded by these these written large things whereas Um, the baudelaire's are more relatable i suppose yeah supposed to be with them the show has quite intentionally like stilted dialogue yes so it has this kind of vibe that means that they're slightly tough protagonists in some ways but i think as the series goes on you really love them um i do want to say one line there's a the the show starts with them um sat on the bench that they were at the last shot of the last series yeah and klaus says 
I feel like we've been waiting here so long that Sunny started to look like a toddler rather than a baby. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to shout out Sunny, um, the tiny little baby actress playing Sunny, like gets a lot more to do and yeah. is really adorable. Whereas in the first series, she felt more um, pubert and like yeah. a weird prop yes. CGI thing. Um, one thing that I've heard good things about is the way that the TV series is able to expand the hinted at slash behind the scenes stuff that's happening with Lemony mm. because um, I know Nathan Fillion is playing uh, Lemony's brother yes they, oh there's a there's a but th- that side of things I'm not going to say when so it's still a spoiler in some ways mm. but there's a great moment where the show plays on so often the show Lemony like walks into frame solemnly and then addresses the audience yeah and they do a moment where you don't quite realise you're watching a flashback to, like, an actual moment in his life. Oh, And he just, like, clever. walks into frame and goes, like, hey! And, like, he's, for the first time, actually, like, part of a scene. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, the, the this series is... Um, it's moving ahead in the sort of background stuff much quicker than I expected to. Yeah. So now frustration with the books are... It really enjoys the mystery much more than the answers. Yes. Um, and this one is dropping, it's doing that thing where it's dropping more answers to add more mystery. Yeah. And doing great things where like, oh, did they answer that big question? And then flippantly they're like, oh, if only that wasn't true or blah, blah, blah. It's really fun. And like, another thing, I remember when we did our third episode about the first series. so long ago. Um, Wow. Olaf has a few slightly problematic disguises. Yeah. And there was a disguise I was really worried about. Um, Coach Genghis with his turban. Oh dear. Uh, from the books, I was yeah. like, I'm really worried about this. But they do a really funny take on it. Okay. Where it's like, he puts a turban on and then they challenge him and say like, and what religion are you? And he's like, you know. And like, it's more a joke on the fact that he's being problematic. Yeah, oh that's good. Than, um, Dink. Yeah, so it's it, it's a really, it's a fun show, but again, yeah, savour it. Yeah. Because, uh, they are doing three series. We're not going to take yeah. any further. Uh, speaking of mysteries, um, I, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, I'm part now of a tabletop collective and we're uh, called Natural Ruckus. And we're four sessions deep into our Clouds Over Shan mini campaign. Shan is a city in the Eberron setting, so it's a little bit kind of fantasy steampunky. Mm. And I think I've mentioned before we're doing sort of like a fantasy noir thing and we're cool. currently working on solving a mystery um because we're trying to take out my character's evil boss who's <laughs> like a mobster mm. and it's deeply frustrating that i don't know all the answers because the dm <laughs> um uh, the dm is is my boyfriend and so like we talk about things as much as we're able to do so mm. and he point blank refuses to tell me anything that I don't already know and it's so frustrating but we're having a really fun time exploring things and knowing that it's a mini campaign is really interesting from a D&D point of view like the way I think about character and relationships because in a one shot you're one and done in a long term campaign obviously you want to survive and carry on telling stories with the character I'm playing of Blue, who is basically the fe- is like an homme fatale in this story, and like lots of different people seem to be trying to find him, and mm. he doesn't know why. 
And being kind of at the centre of a mystery, like both in character and out of character, is proving to be really interesting and frustrating, and I'm having such a good time. Mysteries are a really hard thing to GM. Yeah. I I, I full credit to, to, to Tom for running it. Yeah, our Monster Hearts group, we're coming to the very end. I know this has been a long, long time coming. Yeah. It's been a uh, long road. <laughs> yeah. God, that's what I do. Um, but, like, the mystery is, like, starting to think, and I'm just, like, have so much sympathy for Mel, because, like, no matter what leads yeah. you give someone, they're going to go in another direction. And I feel like we should have cottoned on to certain things a lot quicker. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. Um, yeah, what I will say, um, if people want to check it out, uh, our archive is on YouTube. If you look for Natural Ruckus, mm-hmm. uh, you can find us. We, we stream the game on Twitch on alternate Friday nights. Uh, we ended up doing quite a long session on Friday. It was uh, We actually had parts of it where we two of, we were split into two parties, as it were. We split the party. Uh, we weren't trying to, it just mm. happened. But like the ones who weren't directly involved, we were taken up. We left the group chat, so we couldn't hear what was going on. Hmm. It was very cool. Cool. Um, I've become quite into, uh, cookery shows on Netflix, but not cookery shows, shows about chefs. Oh, like, interesting. Well, like food, like travel food shows kind of things. Yeah. Um, and I'm a little bit in love with a guy called, uh, Chef David Chang. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he has a show called Ugly Delicious. I think I've heard um, of that. I think I saw yeah. that advertised. The one where food doesn't have to look great to taste great. Yeah. Um... But in a weird way, because I think I'm in love with him, uh, I'm holding off on that and I'm watching his previous show, Mind of a Chef. Yes. Um, and the reason why I'm mentioning it is because um, uh, it's a passion that Mel and I have, like searching for shows that you can do like comic drawing to is quite right. tough because yes. it's like, for some reason, sometimes like audio only stuff is harder to okay. listen to because you really have to concentrate on every word or you miss something. Yeah, whereas a whereas show that relies like, on visuals yeah, as well. Yeah, you can glance back and yeah. whatever. So sure. we're always recommending each other like, oh my God, I found this show about cults. It's perfect. It's pretty boring, but, you know, yeah. gets you through. Engaging enough, but, yeah. not too dis- but not distracting. So we've become obsessed with these um, shows with David Chang. And the reason why we like him is food shows can... It's an interesting balance because they can sometimes feel very pretentious. Yeah. Um, or like... So basically, what I really like about the show is it reminds us, reminds me of kind of us. Because mm. David Chang goes to restaurants and he's like geeking out about yeah. the way people do things. And I know that's like par for the course. I'm basically describing drivers, dine, <laughs> drivers and dives. But there's just this episode where he and he goes to just like the sushi place. Yeah. And after every single one he eats, he just has to have like a moment, a little moment, and he's just like. He's almost crying just looking at the artistry going into things. That's awesome. And I think I really, it really inspired me because I was talking to Mel about it, how sometimes in the comics community, in like kind of the indie British scene, it's really hard to fight kind of jealousy. Yeah. Or the kind of idea that you're all in competition with each other. Yeah. Um, Especially it's like Comic Village where everyone's friendly, but at the same time you want sales yeah. and you can see people getting more sales and you're like, but I don't understand their work, blah, blah. And this, seeing a chef see other people, other chefs work mm. and see how much of them is in their work. I don't know. Mm. It just really inspired me to try and be better and to sure. 
appreciate others more and not take it just because someone else is doing something that you think's amazing and that you couldn't do. Yeah. That's not, you should never feel bad about your own work because. Oh, that sounds really cool. Everyone's work is important. Anyway, I've, I've, I really like it and I don't know why I'm mentioning this, but that's what I've been consuming. Oh, that's great. Um, my last little catch up. I have started watching Voltron Legendary Defenders. Ah, wow. Um, Actually, at the urging of my niece, I was at, mm. my, I was at my sister's the other day, and I'm not entirely sure. No, we were talking about the Adventure Zone mm-hmm. and the Adventure Zone fan art, and my sister and I were talking about uh, certain things we liked, and we both were commenting on how Davenport uh, gets drawn a lot as, like, with red hair and a red moustache. And I'm like, I had no idea where this came from. And she's just like, oh, I think it's like from, like, got really inspired by Koran. Uh, mm. Yeah, Koran, 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 the gorgeous man, uh, from Voltron. Reese Darby, isn't he? Voiced by Reese. <laughs> I did not know he was voiced by Reese Darby. So when I found that little gem out, I was mm. like, oh, well, I understand why everyone loves this character. Yeah. And my niece came in when she heard that we mentioned, like, because my niece just ran and went, Karan, Karan, the gorgeous man. <laughs> and I was just like, oh. And then I got my niece to tell, because obviously, like, cultural osmosis being what it is, I know a bit about Voltron. Yeah. Enough for me to have it blacklisted on Tumblr, because a couple of people I know post a lot of art of it. Mm-hmm. But, and my niece was just getting very excited and animated telling me about, like, the different uh, the different paladins and, and, and their lions. And mm. I was like, I'm going to watch this show. One, because I've been vaguely curious about it. But two, I like having things I can talk to my niece about. Yeah. That isn't how she's doing at school. Well, it's really cute because you talked about stuff that you've shared with her. Yeah. This feels like so it's like, yeah, it's like, because she's a big fan of like Avatar and Korra. And I know that the Voltron fandom is somewhat of a notorious trash fire. And yeah, it's, it's a fandom. It's a fandom. <laughs> but apparently like there's aspects of it that gotten particularly loud and nasty and vocal. But I'm just in it very casually. I think I saw a comment very recently, which is just like fans of Voltron just aren't willing to admit how bad it is. It's just because they miss Avatar, (laughs) (laughs) which felt kind of mean spirited. But I'm really enjoying it. It's about a bunch of people coming together to a common goal, Mm. have all got very distinct personalities. And then they have to unite by their power of friendship to pilot a giant fucking robot together. Yeah. And I need to talk with you off mic about the original Voltron cartoon and how much it inspired Power Rangers and stuff like that well yeah this is I I, whenever I mention Sentai I've got someone in my Muscles group who's a huge Voltron fan Um, and it's interesting because both of them come from similar places Mm. in Japanese media yeah Um, just the idea of you know red leader of multicoloured teams of people joining forces and stuff Um, and that's my shit so you're jail <laughs> yeah so um but yeah so um i finished the first season um i mainlined that um the other day and have started season two and i'm cool. like i'm enjoying it a lot like the voice acting's great the animation is fun i like also taking the mick out of certain things like ah cool the Zor- the, the, the <laughs> voltron is joining animation time yeah mm, but yeah, yeah i'm having a very good time cool so, um, I yeah. guess I want to just make a a, a an announcement. Mm. I have finished Charmed. <laughs> Congratulations! Charmed is you my survived. husband's favorite show, and so I said I'd watch it with him. It's seven seasons of 
25 episodes of yeah. hour long. It's it's okay if you love it. I know lots of people have very nostalgic memories. It doesn't really hold up in the way a lot of other shows do. Yeah. Um, and so we finally finished it and I'm... I feel proud that I managed to get through it, um, and I feel <laughs> you but I, survived. But the thing is, like, it got it got so bad in its final season. Yeah, I asked Justin why are we still watching this, and he said, "I like Phoebe's hair this season." <laughs> like he couldn't even defend it. Yeah. Um, the reason I'm mentioning it is that a lot of fans are mad because there's a reboot. I heard, but uh, it's a reboot rather than a comeback, and so. A, I understand that a lot of shows come back and bring back the original cast, but it's not the one... They don't bring back the original cast when it's women, yeah. because they obviously want Young, younger women. I think partially, I think in this case, it's more to do with very messy canon and yeah. the actual specific women who <laughs> were the charmed ones. Yes. Um, not really... Not talking about Rose McGowan in terms of uh, anything she said or done, but they do not have the yeah. closest relationship, these yes. actors. Anyway, yes. the reason why I'm really interested is in seven seasons of the show, there was not a single bit of queer representation. Yeah. Um, but in this new show, coming from the creators of Jane the Virgin, Ooh. Um, all three of the uh, new charm ones are Latina. Uh, cool. They've been cast. They are playing new characters. That's good. Um so it's not stepping on the toes of the one. Yeah. They do also have the first... So they're all M names now. Because <laughs> uh. there's Prue, Piper, Phoebe, and Paige. And now they're like Maggie, mm. Mel, and something else. But yeah. um, one of them is uh, gay. Sweet. And um, is in a relationship with a detective who mm-hmm. is investigating. And obviously that causes all kinds of, of drama. Um, so I'm just like... That sounds amazing. Along with that, um, there's also a new Sabrina show. Yep. And I'm just like, I'm really excited for the sort of... Uh, Female-led witches. Female-led witch We're show. bringing back witches. Like, yes. That's such a part of like my childhood, but like not my childhood, but just yes, knowing the, that there's witch shows on TV. The cultural landscape. The yeah. genre of witch shows. Yes. Um, and I include Buffy in that as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited for that. Like That's awesome. both those shows. And also Sabrina because Michelle Gomez is in it, who yes. I am obsessed with. <laughs> Who's Michelle Gomez playing? So I thought, because uh, I, I hate the fact that I've called her this for about 15 years, but Dawn from The Office. Yeah. Uh, she's playing Aunt Helga. Lucy Davies. Lucy Davies. She's playing Aunt Helga. Helga. Yeah. Which I think is like amazing casting. Yes. I don't think they've announced she's playing Zelda. Yeah. I thought it was Michelle Gomez and I got very excited, but yeah. instead she's playing. Um, Sabrina's teacher, who might be the devil. That sounds amazing. Because the new show is based on the chilling adventures of uh, Sabrina, which is a much like darker uh, comic book series. Excellent. And it's kind of like vaguely set in the Riverdale universe, but there won't be crossovers for a long time. But like, I'm very into it. I'm very into <laughs> I'm it. Very I'm very excited. It. They they showed they revealed one picture, and it was a picture of a black cat, and I'm like, Salem's back. I'm like, yep. It's a black cat. <laughs> um, so, awesome. witch shows. But uh, that's enough catching up, because as, as, we could just keep doing it. Um, let's get on to today's topic. 
Yeah. Um, so we were a little stumped for ideas. Um, and we asked the Facebook group and Twitter, I think, um, and we were delivered barrels worth of topics that you want to hear about. Um, we have since planned out a whole series of things to talk about. Um, a very popular suggestion was comics. Um, as a comics writer, I'm a little ashamed that we've not talked about it yet, but, um, and I've been on many an LGBT in representation in comics panels so i think i could talk about it but we are going to do a couple of um, comic episodes in the future talking about uh the big two and also indie stuff um, um but well i'm excited for that um uh, no i am <laughs> i'm excited but, for that but anyway <laughs> sorry i'm too deadpan for my own good um but a trend among the submissions that we noticed were requests for us to tackle specific sort of sexual identity, sexualities and identities that we haven't cast a spotlight on yet. The Trans Day of Visibility episode, I really enjoyed recording. Um, we got some good feedback from people who enjoyed listening to it. So we thought we we're going to do like a mini arc or mini season of us uh, looking at certain identities, exploring the experience of having that identity itself, its representation or lack thereof in media and how we'd like to see it handled in the media in future. Yeah, um, and so today's episode is like the the, the starting off of this series, um, and we're going to talk today about what I believe is a pretty universal feeling of kind of imposter syndrome in the queer community. Um, it was inspired by a question on, on Facebook by David, um, which is, uh, you could do an episode on not feeling queer enough and why people feel that way. I have this feeling sometimes because I don't have a large group of queer friends in my social circle and I'm not fully independent yet to explore queer stuff without the risk of invasive questions. So today's episode is not feeling queer enough. Yeah. Jade, have you ever felt this way? Oh, fucking God. <laughs> so much. Mm. So often. Uh, where where to begin? Um, I've I've talked before quite candidly about somebody that is read as um, a cis woman being in um, a relationship with a cis man, and how I struggle with my own internalized biphobia about how that relationship is being, how I am perceived by virtue of being with him despite the fact that it's totally a part of bisexuality to be with somebody of a different gender to you. Mm. Like, that's part of what the identity is about. Um, but growing up, um, even as comfortable as I am with, like, being bi, being queer, and as obviously in recent years, um, coming to understand myself as being uh, trans non-binary... I still grow up in a part of the world. I say a part of the world. Uh, the UK is so much, it's so much easier here than in parts of the world. Um, but the town I grow up in is not like the most forward thinking of places. My friendship circles are largely dominated um, by cis het people. Um, most of my queer family, as it were, uh, online. Like, there are a few exceptions to that rule, Hamish being, like, a big one. And sort of people I've met through being friends with Hamish. Mm. But, yeah, God. Um, I know a lot of, um, for a lot of bisexual people particularly, it's a thing that comes up, or it's a, a trend I've noticed when talking to other people to other bisexual people it's certainly not a unique experience to being 
to being bi. Um, I know ace folk who or uh, folks who fall somewhere on the uh, the ace spectrum have have talked about it, and I even like my my gay friends be they sort of um, identifying as as male or female or somewhere in between that notion of not being the right kind of gay. They don't mm. look the part that you are supposed to look as if there's one way to look and act if you're a sexuality. Like you like like you said, Hamish, this sort of universal imposter syndrome of am I doing this right? Yeah. Am I enough? And something that Nemo and I talked about in the, the, the Trans No Visibility episode, just like that wanting to be visible and out there for people that don't have the freedom or the privilege or maybe because they are like I was for many years felt very alone as a as a queer person with no community that's why we try to to be out there and be open about things and even then it's just like it doesn't feel like enough I still feel very disconnected from from the queer community and part of that is, is it because I am not enough yeah i the reason why i said a kind of a universal feeling is i actually think the feeling is slightly different but yeah i understand why um bi people and ace people have the feeling of not feeling queer enough mm. so the feeling i have um maybe it comes across as a little bit privileged so like i know that uh, gay men have a hugely exposed uh, place and space in the queer community. Mm. Um, and the thing is, I think my feeling comes from uh, I see a lot more kinship with the kind of discussion going on in a bit more diverse queer spaces. Yeah. So, for example... Uh, a flatmate of mine tried to start up a kind of East London, a uh, West London. Sorry, there's a lot of East London queer communities, and they started yeah. to try up a West London one when we were living together in Ealing. Um, and we went to the first meeting. Yeah. And we all, in turn, and I was the last one, in turn sort of explained our identities. Yeah. And I remember everyone was saying, well, I'm a trans, non-binary, pansexual, and I'm a, uh, you know, uh, trans woman who identifies as asexual and things like that. Yeah. And they came to me and I just like, I'm gay. And there was a kind of like laugh. Yeah. Um, and I kind of played it as a joke. Yes. Um, and that's such a tiny, simp stupid example. But my idea of feeling not queer enough is I worry that I constantly get read as like, oh, the annoying gay, like, man who thinks everything's about him and doesn't listen to our issues. Um, I think, like, a similar feeling is we are both part of a secret um, Mm. uh, queer McElroy podcast, uh, you know, Facebook Mm. group. Yeah. And um, that's another time when I didn't feel queer enough. I felt like I was the privileged oppressor yeah. Because I was a cis gay person. Yeah. And I felt like I couldn't really talk about the issues I face. Um, there's issues that come from being more exposed and more... God, yes. Like, in some ways, more of a... I'm not trying to say I'm more of a target, but, like, 
Um, there are, I think my issue is that we all face unique yes. problems. And sometimes we all try and like list up, like ourselves of where we fall on the yeah, like, th- oppression chart. Yeah, no, I, I do think it's just like, oh, I have it worse than you. And while I think there is valid things to be said about the, quote, public face of the queer community being cis gay men, normally cis gay white men. Yeah. And within that community, like, it's easy to go, oh, that's just as bad. Just like, again, Nemo and I touched on this. Just like the inter-community, I don't want to say pissing contests. (laughs) I have it worse than you. I kind of do. I I feel that's like being crass and unfair to some of the very genuine discussions. But while it isn't right for the outside world to characterise the queer community as cis gay men, that doesn't fucking mean that cis gay men aren't facing a lot. And like you say, because there is that visibility that comes there, um, something I've seen a lot of valid discussion about is uh, the desire to be visible. Mm. And for some people, they don't have a choice about being visible. You say, oh, I want to be visibly queer. It's just like... Do you know how much how dangerous that can be? Yeah, there's a there's an often debate and like about um, the feeling from bi people where they don't want to be erased and yes. they uh, quotation mark time the idea of passing privilege yes the i the the i the debate that happens especially at places like Pride yes where bi people who may have uh, different gendered partners want to be recognised as queer. Yes. At the same time as certain people want to walk down the street and not be visibly queer. Like, for example, it's not a passing privilege, but there's a different issue happening yes. between me walking down the street with mm-hmm. my partner and wanting and not being able to hold his hand or things like that. Yeah. And the idea of you walking down the street holding your partner's hand and not being read as queer. Yes. Like, that's a different issue. And yes. they're, they're both very frustrating, and it's part of the world we live in. But they're different. But I, and I think that's why when I say I'm, I don't feel queer enough, mm. it's not... Well, it's kind of complex, because, for example, um, I feel I stand out in the kinds of like radical queer spaces I feel associated with. Yeah. Where I remember at uni, um, Mel, who I met, and um, someone else in our group, Michaela, were sat at the bottom of the class with their dyed hair and their piercings and their like radical t shirts, and yeah. me in my like Tintin jumper. Yeah. I felt like they weren't reading me as queer and they would feel uncomfortable if I said hello to them. Yeah. And that there's a lot of that, like, when I'm on the street and uh, yes. I see couples or I see, like, visibly queer people. And you can't help but stare at them a little bit. Yeah. And people, yeah, this is, and this is not unique to you and I, but you're just like, is that, could it be? I want them is to read cheap? me as queer. Yes. And, like... It's that desire for kinship. We've talked about this before. It's just like, please recognise me because I want you to know that it is safe, that I am safe. Mm. And like I mentioned that um, McElroy... uh, uh, Fan group. Fan group. Um, We're part of, yeah, we're part of this like secret queer... I say, say, it's a locked private group. Yeah, yeah. And all the discussion there is really interesting and a lot of it's coming from bi people and ace people and people who, and trans people and people that don't get the kind of media exposure that gay people do. Yeah. But I found that I 
couldn't say anything or like mm. in this group there was a trend uh i, I actually left because i felt so yeah, uncomfortable I'm, yeah um and but that's not because i'm uncomfortable with them it's like i you felt, felt your place within that space yeah i felt it's like it's like if i went to a there's a, a thing i've been invited to a few times which is called like a women on in comics panel yes not panel like a, i would be in the audience yes and I wanted to go because I find that topic really interesting, but I also don't want to be the man there. Yeah. I don't want to be the guy. And like, I have a problem of, I hate awkward silences, so I'm always the person to ask a question, whether it's a good one or not. Yeah. And I'm like, I should not be there. I, I should not be the person no. asking a question in this space. And it's like, I go into a queer space, which I feel like I should belong in. Yeah. But then find myself being that person. Yeah. And like, I feel like I should be able to be in my lane, but I feel like I'm not. Yeah. And this is something I, I saw recently about being staying in your lane. And it's just like people, and this is something I'm trying to be aware of, it's just like, no, you can leave your lane, just maybe don't cut off the mm. people whose lane you're going in. Like you can speak, but you are not an authority. It's like, don't speak over. Like yeah. it's something like, I think it's very easy for us to say, that's not an issue relevant to us, so we're not going to discuss it. And I feel that maybe excuses us from discussions that are maybe more difficult and it's something I'm aware of for us going forward. Balancing that we don't want to act as if we are authorities on something we have no right to be an authority on while at the same time acknowledging this is something that needs to be talked out, talked about by a lot of people. I mean, part of the reason for this mini-series we're doing and having guests on is I want to confront my own uh, biases and uh I want to stop cutting people off and saying like what the answer is. There was this kind of, I went on a LGBT representation in comics panel. Yeah. Um, it was quite a big panel of people. Yeah. And I found that I was talking the most. Yes. And if that's ever happened in the past, I shut myself up and I feel bad about it and I know my yeah. place and everything. But I feel the reason why I was talking about it the most was I was on a panel where, um, Everyone, I think everyone else were um, by women with male partners. Right. It was quite, and I realized that their experiences yes. were different. Yes. And so they were, they were great talking about like representing like characters and writing characters. But whenever topics came up about like sort of day to day life and experiences, I was kind of looking around and no one was saying anything. I'm like, Okay, I have I... so much to say about this. Yeah. Um, and I found that of the group, I was the one that was like angry and like, yeah. the straights need to change. And yes. everyone else was a bit more, and this is not a judgment on by women at all. It's a judgment on, it's not even a judgment. It's just like, we had different experiences and my experience was more like, I am so angry with the world all the time. Yes. And like, I use comics because I need to just shout back sometimes in a safe environment. Yes. Um, and everyone else on the panel was coming more from like, I want characters who are great and positive to like, which yeah. I want to do as well. But I guess I have more of a like, I want a gay punisher, like kind of character. I want vengeance. Yeah. Um, and I think it's times like that when I, it's not that I don't, hmm, I'm going around in all kinds of circles, no, but like, okay. I do feel, I always feel gay enough. Yes. <laughs> but I don't often feel queer enough. Right. And I think it's because gayness is so, it's got its own 
much better recorded and lengthier history mm. and community and culture. Whereas the queer community and queer is such a more nebulous, yeah. shifting And I feel thing. like I often don't feel like I belong there. And maybe that's maybe that's because I don't belong. Maybe that's like... I, I think, and this is um, maybe a little off topic, but also very relevant to what you just said, we talk about the queer community and, and then like who gets to be a part of it and the gatekeeping mm. of it. And it's just like, while yes, we are united in certain things, our experiences are so radically different in places. It's okay to have the gay community, the lesbian mm. community, the bi community, the ace community, the trans community, because even within those communities, things are different. You cannot, it's impossible to encompass everything and everyone, even if we do have this element unifying us. Um, it's a it's a silly thing. Uh, you mentioned that that McElroy fan group. Um, I haven't officially left it yet. I, I don't go in there anymore because, and I understand why. However, every instance of the word queer had to be denoted by a warning. Yeah. Of use of the Q word in a positive or negative way. Um, I don't want to get into the discussion of the word queer as a slur. Every identifier has been used as a slur within our communities. And mm. for me, because of the age that I am, I, I've definitely known queer as a slur and had been the victim of that as used in an aggressive way. But also at the same time, I found that I felt very old in that group. Yeah. That's what I that's similar to how I felt. Um But the thing is that isn't to say there wasn't great discussions happening in there and it was trying so very hard to be this welcoming, safe space for the people within it. And I respect the moderators Yeah. Trying to create that space. It's just an issue of queer spaces in general. Um the uh you mentioned all the different like the gay community and there's been mm. community and that's when I I understand where people don't feel queer enough because people who are bi like, what is the bi community? Do they feel mm. more association with uh, the gay community where there's prejudices? Mm -hmm. Or do they uh, feel they have to belong into the straight community? Yeah. And, like, I can understand that, like, trying to find your identity when it's not so clear-cut. Mm. And, like, we're going to do an asexual episode, but, like, the whole discourse about them and... Like, where are the lines in this community? Are there lines? Should there be? Yeah, and it's... it. This is why I say it's a universal problem, even though I think every individual experience is different. Yeah. Um, And I, I, I just remember in that group in particular, there were a lot of... Uh, there was a thing called a safe post. Yes, where, for example, like, if it was somebody... You could state that it was a safe post or a closed post which is like yeah. if you were discussing on a trans issue yeah. only trans people would reply or should reply and i remember thinking oh, this feels very for this, is, oh, this is the bad thing this feels very like straight pridey or like yeah whatever but i'm like i feel like if i had made a post in that group which is like this is a closed post for like gay cis people yeah or just like gay people that would feel so bad yeah and it's like I understand why, but, like, it's hard to be part of places you went to to feel safe. And then feel... And then feel, like, the oppressor. Yeah. And it's like, 
I am in some ways, but I don't feel like I am. And yeah, like, when you when you suffer your own oppression to then feel like you are the bad person for yeah. by virtue of the thing that you are often made to be oppressed by. Yeah, I felt very. Um, uh, in some ways, like appropriative in there. Yes. Or like I felt, um, I would. Uh, there was a lot of suspicion around someone posting with like a picture of me. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know what I'm talking about. Really, <laughs> it's just it. I, I felt um, in those kinds of spaces. If I've had a day where. I'm like hiding my in all queer spaces. If I've had a day where I've had to like hide my sexuality for safety, yeah, and then I am met with hostility. No, I, I sorry. I if I met if I go onto a group into yeah. a space to relax, and all I see is, oh, it's so hard because no one viewed me as queer today, and that's fine for your day. But if that's the kind of day I've been having, where yeah. I'm like. Uh, I wasn't able to like, you know, be with my partner today. It's yeah. just, um, I think this is why we all have these feelings Yeah, because we're all shoved together and we all have such complex feelings, but we, we are united by the assumption that we all have the same experience. When we all have experiences that are perhaps similar in nature, mm. but they can be so radically different in the way. Yeah. This is heavy. I feel like we need <laughs> caffeine. Let's do it. Let's put the kettle on. section of the show a little breathing space yeah where we're having a little a little refreshment even though we've spent the whole uh, episode spilling the tea um, <laughs> i am surrounded by so many puns you have no idea <laughs> um somewhere tom is cackling and i'm mad about it i'm gonna say except that in these episodes we are trying to work things out ourselves yeah like and we often- aren't definitive we don't have mm. definitive answers for ourselves, let alone anybody else. These aren't really episodes about educating. They're more like Just, feelings and yeah. ranting a little bit. Yeah. I really recommend having a podcast as a way to like shout your feelings into the void and then you have some really nice people comment back. It's, <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you're enjoying the episode, consider sharing it with a friend. Rate, review, subscribe. Helps us out a whole bunch. Um, I'm going to do a little shameless plug. Do it. Um, because I was talking about comics and LGBT representation in comics. Uh, <laughs> I got a bit that stumbled a sentence, on my words. Yeah. Um, my new book, Dead Endia, which is technically my old book, but sh- um, is being released by No Brow um, in May in the UK and mm-hmm. in August in America. Um but you can pre-order both on Amazon if you search for Dead Endia. Um, the full title is Dead Endia, The Watcher's Test. And it's uh, about queer young people who work in a theme park. And um, it's pretty cool because there's a lot of good queer representation in webcomics. Mm. But when they this is getting published and it's going to be in every Barnes & Noble in America, I found out, which is pretty cool. Hell yeah. Um and it's going to be in like the YA graphic novel section of loads of bookshops, and uh, it's got very overt representation with 
you know, identities actually named on page. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty cool. And so, obviously, I want it to do well for selfish reasons, but mm. um, supporting books like this tells people that these kinds of books are wanted. And um, the reason why the publisher wants to publish this is... I did a book with them called Pantheon, which is a very stupid comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were looking at all my other work and they said, oh, these are the, this is the type of book that uh, school libraries keep asking us for. Like, are there any queer books? Because that's what our pupils yeah. want. Which feels really heartwarming that that's the way the world is now because yeah. I would not have the confidence to ask a librarian if they have any queer books back in my day. But... Um, yeah, so pre-orders are open. I will probably be... Uh, doing a little tour or some things to do with it. Uh, if you have a bookshop, a comic bookshop near you, ask them to order some, mm-hmm. or even a normal bookshop. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to plug that because it's, it's very good. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm going to end up buying it because I know there's like stuff that wasn't in the webcomic and certain things been redrawn. Yeah. I'm excited to see. I'm calling different. it an adaptation of the last version. That's cool. And it's like... I feel bad because both my books have been my Kickstarter books re-released with new stuff, and eventually people are going to have you know are not eventually going to have books out that are new. Um, but uh, yeah, it's redrawn. I've tweaked stuff. I've given certain characters much more to do. I'm looking forward um, to reading it. And yeah, it's very queer and spooky and funny. Awesome. Should we jump back in? Let's let's. So, um, the first half we went off on tangents that um, actually covered quite a lot of what we're going to talk about in the second half. So I guess we're just going to kind of continue um, this. I don't think I answered how I feel about no, you not feeling did. queer enough. You kind of did. Um, so we mentioned queer spaces. Yeah. Um, a feeling I've heard a lot is people want more queer spaces which aren't alcohol uh, based yep. like clubs and bars and things yep. um, but also pride yep. and I know the feeling of not feeling queer enough to go to pride is a big one yes um, what are your thoughts on how that can change or if that's like a valid feeling or do people, should people go to pride as somebody that struggles to go to pride for a number of different reasons mm-hmm. um I would like there to be more opportunities for people to go to feel part of their community that isn't pride, but at the same, because which isn't me trying to diminish the importance of of pride, but at the same time, what pride is now compared to what pride started as, like pride started as a protest, mm. and it's not. And while part of it still is that, when you have like big banks and the police force marching in. Pride parades, it's we're so far away from from what we what we were. And to speak to the whole space we need more spaces that are alcohol. I agree, we need places that are alcohol free, that are open in the daytime. But so often with those discussions I see it as a demonization of gay bars and things like that. And it's just like for people who don't understand why we were shunted off into the dark spaces where the mm. straights couldn't see us because we had to hide and we only had these specific places. Also, there's a lot of um, 
lack of understanding in that, like, in, like, London, for example, yeah, all of these gay spaces are in constant fear of shutting down. Yes. Um, obviously, you could say that's because not enough people are going, and that's why we need the alternative, but these are historic. Yes. Uh, there's a gay bar in London called the Old uh, Vauxhall Tavern, mm. um, which has been fighting to get... Um, get listed as a like historical landmark because yeah. it has this long history of protecting gay people. This is and, our history. Yeah, and like I've I've been there and seen some amazing things there. Um so I agree and also realistically I don't know how something like I've seen people ask for like a queer coffee shop and I'm like in Soho, that exists because that's where queer queer people go. Yeah, and unless you are, and it's just like a Costa, you know, or yeah. Starbucks in the right part of the city. Yeah, is that? But a, you know, not every small town can have that. And mm. if they did, how do you mm-hmm. check that yeah. that's what it is? Yeah. Um, I've seen sometimes establishments have like a sign saying you are now entering a queer space. Mm. You are allowed here, but understand there's like zero tolerance to any kind of. Yeah. Homophobic, transphobic. Yeah. We should be everywhere, but yeah. We're realists. Um, In regards to pride, Mm. feelings very complex. Um, I tend to go every year to London, but I almost never go to see the parade. Yeah. I literally go because I like the vibe in the city on that day. Yeah. Um, it's just like roads are closed off, but and people are just like walking in the street and you see people just sort of being themselves. Um, that's what I like about pride. Yeah. It's not so much the big parade or party or the drinking or anything. Yeah. It's all the in-betweens. This is part of why Nine Worlds is yeah. such an important part of my year. Because while it's not perfect, because mm. nothing is, nothing can be, Nine Worlds, from their beginning, made it part of their ethos to be an open, as safe a space as they could make it. Yeah. But And what's great is like, yeah, people. you see people in cosplay, but you see people who may be can't express their gender identity when they're at home, being able to do so for a weekend, to talk mm. about things they don't get to talk about yeah. the rest of the time. To, to be s- angry. To be angry, to feel their community when they're perhaps very isolated. I feel that, I know that's why a lot of people go to Nine Ways, the social aspect of being yeah. around their peers. In regards to pride, I feel people shouldn't feel not queer enough. They should feel too queer for pride. Pride, I like that. Pride is so frustrating. And sometimes to get backlash if I mention like any negativity towards it, because I understand that it's so important for a lot of people. Yeah. But it's, I always have, if I ever go to the um, actual parade, I always have such a conflict of feelings. So last year when I went, A, all Pride was sponsored by big, big companies and banks and also the film uh, The Absolutely Fabulous Movie, which I like the TV show, but the movie is incredibly transphobic. (sighs) And it feels like, why is this the the film? Why is a film sponsoring it? Yeah. Why is, like, I understand that Pride needs money, money, but like, 
Jesus, the, the, the sponsorships are so confusing to me sometimes. Yeah. And what was so uncomfortable was that the parade was happening and then right next to it was a protest at the parade. And in my heart, I was with the protesters. Yeah. But the vibe was so... You saw people attending Pride being angry at protesters protesting, like, queer rights. Mm. Because it was ruining their, like, drink and fun time. And it's like... Like, the idea that Pride is a celebration is at conflict with its history. Yes. And it's like, how do you... Reconcile the two. Yeah, how do you have both? Um, You want people to go because they can feel themselves and be happy. Yeah. And you also want to acknowledge that... Like, fuck you, society. There's a reason we can't do this every day. Yeah. Um, It's hard yeah and like you often see things in the parade where you're like why are you at pride and that's when you start thinking okay why have i said that why have i thought that i don't know these people yeah but like no i don't mean individual people like um ah, you apologies. have to like book your you have to book your uh Group, slot my, yeah in the parade space. and you see certain things go past when you're like how did you get is in? that a queer thing like one of my pet hates um actually a friend of mine Sinead's pointed out really uh, amazingly. Um, She was talking about how at her work, they had a discussion where they say, how do we tell everyone that our business is queer friendly? Yeah. And Sinead said, why don't you start by trying to make your business queer friendly? And like, there was so, so last year, London's Pride had these horrendous... we we talked about Yeah, these horrendous uh, posters, which were just like, London's the most amazing place in the world and we don't judge you for being queer. I'm like, you have hate crime. Like, you can't start... You yeah. can't just tell people you're like this. You have to... Work at it? Work at it. Yeah. And I don't know. It Pride... Fo- London Pride focuses way more on, like, making straight people feel welcome and uncomfortable than, like, acknowledging the reason why we do this. Yeah. So all of this is to say, never feel you're not queer enough. There's going to be millions of people there who don't even worry about not being queer enough and aren't queer and are just there because it's a spectacle. If you're asking yourself the question, am I queer enough to go to Pride? You you are. are. You're too queer for Pride. That's why I'm saying it's like, this is all of my rambling in the first half is trying to get the fact that I feel very gay. I feel very welcome in spaces for queer stuff. But I associate the word queer with a type of uh, political belief in some ways, or like mm-hmm. an understanding of the nuance of the identity yeah. that I feel a lot of gay people uh, don't question too much. Yeah. And so I feel more at home with people who don't feel queer enough. Yeah. Um, and I, so the reason we're talking about Pride is thinking of like, why, how can Pride make an effort to change this? Well, they ain't gonna. Yeah, I don't think they are. And I think why I'm mentioning that is I see a lot of alternate prides. Yeah. Um, There's one that happens every year, which is a big kind of picnic in a park. And similarly, that's meant for queer people of colour. You can go, but recognise you'll be 
the white person at the queer people of colour picnic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are lots of alternate prides like that. Yeah. And lots of things happening around a similar time. Yes. Um, and things like Nine Worlds, which are like what you might be asking for from your pride, but in disguise mm-hmm. in some ways. Seriously, like, well, and Nine Worlds um, is a family themed event. Like, there is a bar and stuff in the hotel, but it is like mostly alcohol free uh, and things like that. Mm. So just, we're also just like big fans of Nine Worlds and we're going to try and yeah. sell our con. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be cool. Um, to yeah. mention, I don't know if we want to talk about this, but like, the lines, the, 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 what, if we are saying, if you are worried about not fearing queer enough, chances are you're more than queer enough. Yeah. Um, do you believe there should be a line on what is and isn't queer? Yes. I. There are certain things, like with the discussion of queer theory um, and things like that on the queering of things, it becomes difficult like people coming out as kinky Mm. that yes that is not heteronormative that is not the standard but i don't feel like that experience is kin to being a marginalized sexuality like and also i also don't people like publicly displaying their kinks just like you're in a space where there could be children please be considerate of the fact Mm. like I don't believe in kink. That kink shaming and kink is another is an entirely different thing. That hey, maybe we'll do an episode about at some point. Yeah, I from have... a queer perspective, but that is a whole different thing. But a, for a couple of friends of mine have gotten into arguments on Twitter with people trying to say that their kink is what makes them queer. She was like, no, you can be queer and kinky. Yeah, kink don't make you queer. Yeah, it's so tough. It is. It's so difficult because I don't want to be a gatekeeper. I don't want to say, no. oh, the who you are makes you feel alone and isolated from society at large. Okay, well, that sucks for you, but you can't come here. Yeah, it's it's basically a stronger version of, like, we have different experiences. Yeah. In being, for example, kinky, yeah. you will experience things similar to things certain queer people have experienced um and i don't know where the line is that transfers into it yeah but like i think what i i think what i think a line is yeah maybe i'll disagree a few episodes later or whatever and that's why we're doing this mini series yeah we reserved the right to change our mind when better informed I'm just going to start talking. Please do. And maybe I'll correct myself. Okay. I don't know if people should want to be queer. Now, let me caveat it. Oh, no, I was just going to nod. When people say, I don't feel like I belong in a queer space, I feel like, okay, fine, it's more important for the people who need this and want a place to belong i'm like i feel sometimes people are annoyed that there's there's a space that exists that's not open to them yep and if they want in but in a space 
purely so they can that, be in it. Yeah, that's a space designed for people because they don't have anywhere else. That's like, we're here because I'll, you know. And it's like, this is when it gets tricky because mm-hmm. being queer is not defined by having a shit life. No. But there's a, there, there has to be some kind of mental line between I don't need that space. So mm. maybe I am queer, maybe I'm not, but I don't need an outlet or a community in order to feel right. Yes. And needing that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, when we talk about bisexuality, for example, yeah, I think, they're pro- I think there are bisexual people who have a strong preference to... Uh, a different gender and will yeah. exist most of their life with a cis partner of a, sep- of a different gender and it won't in any way affect their life. Mm-hmm. And they are queer, but if they don't feel... If they want in on a safe space but feel like they don't quite belong, then maybe they don't need that space. Yeah. and There's a difference between need and want. Yeah, and it's like... It, it's so hard because it's like a case-by-case basis based on everyone's identity and their own experiences and what have you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just feel like... I feel like maybe the question, a question to ask is why do you want to be in this yeah. space? Why do you want to have that identity or that identifier? Because I, I know some people that happily, just, like when asked their sexuality, queer. Whereas some people use it as a descriptor about themselves, but it would be like deeply angry if you referred to them as queer. It's just like, no, I'm a lesbian. No. Yeah. And it's just like, queer is a descriptor. And also, I, I, I sort of think it's just like, you don't, you aren't, a, well, I'm not going to say you aren't a queer, because you can be, you, if, if that's how you want to go, it's like, I am a proud queer. Yeah. Personally, that feels very odd to me. It's just like, I don't say I am a bisexual. I mean, there, no, there needs to be some kind of line because there are sexual preferences that have tried to get in on the queer community that we don't want to be part of the yeah. queer community. There, there's a re- yeah, I mean, there's a reason why the number of letters keeps increasing in the acronym. Mm. And I feel that's right. Like, but then... Friends like the Mogai, was it marginalized was orientations, something, yeah, something, something. But then, like, pedophiles tried to come in there. It's just like, yeah. no, 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 that's no. And it's hard because you're like, oh, a sexual preference that is uh, seen as deviant, uh, deviant, um, and it's like, it's something that, that you know, they say they can't help and things like that. And you're like, this is why any definition is just like hard. And it's Uh like, it needs to be kind of case by case. And I know that means that certain people's identities end up becoming like... More questioned than others. Yeah. And like the big discourse of the moment. I mean, we're going to do an episode about it. So we're not talking about it here, but there's, you know, a huge debate online about essentially hetero romantic asexual people. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's in cases like that where you identify with queer if that's a word you need to be happy. Yeah. If that's the word you need to feel right. Yes. Um, and like, if, you, if you're if fine without it, 
be without it. You don't need the extra like oppression that comes with yeah being that yeah. Um, but you know, we do this podcast to learn, to change our minds, to yes. grow. Um, this is a tough conversation to have without realizing that at some point you do become a bigot in mm. some ways. Everyone yeah. has a line in which, even if they don't think about it, that mm. they, uh, so anyway, blah, 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 blah. That's the reason we're doing this. It's going to be a tough few episodes, I think. Yeah. Sorry. I've talked a lot. No, you're all right. Should we do some questions? Yes. We got um, a whole bunch. Some of these we've sort of pulled over from other places. Um, but yeah, I, for a thank you Facebook group for, for giving us mm. um, a, a whole big thing. Um, so these are just sort of cool discussion points really for us to work around. Um, Grace asked, um, or more offered this comment, uh, how often media explains slash explores a, character, a gay character's queer identity by highlighting their utter aversion to the opposite sex rather than focusing on their love and desire for people of their same gender? I think this is more comfortable for straight audiences, maybe? Question mark. And I feel like, I feel that's possibly a reflection of binary thinking. Yeah. Do you remember a uh, a Glee storyline where Blaine thought he might be bisexual because yes, he like vividly. drunkenly kissed Rachel? Or vividly, something? it was not great. No, uh, <laughs> can you tell by the tone of my voice? Um, and like Kurt was really biphobic, and Blaine, I think, had a few lines which are kind of good about like, oh, stop being like that. Maybe I am, but like the whole episode kind of ended with him kissing Rachel again sober and like, ugh, gross, don't like this. And it's like, that's not really what being gay is like, but okay. It's not? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Also, there is nothing wrong with being like repulsed by the uh, different uh, different genders to yourself. Yeah. Like, it could be so anathema to who you are as a person. Mm. But I think uh, Grace is right that it probably is easier and more palatable for a straight person to see a, a gay man going, ugh, boobs, hide my eye, I cannot oh, that, see it. The thing that bothers me is not the gender, it's the discuss, discussion of body parts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm gay, I would never go near that. And let's not let's not get into the deep, inherent transphobia yeah, in there. Yeah, it really which, annoys me. That, that's a good way for me to get upset and angry very fast. But I think, like what Grace is saying, because that is an easier feeling to relate to, I think, for a a straight person just to go oh god no i would never have sex with that person mm. rather than going rather than empathizing with somebody being in love with the same gender or a similar gender um charlie said uh, on the facebook group uh, the kind of double-edged sword that comes with deciding who it might be safe to out yourself to mm. one of my housemates years back was gay and i um it was like a little sigh of relief thinking, oh good, I can be myself around this person. What I got instead was a rant about dirty bisexuals, straight passing privilege, um, which it doesn't feel like a privilege, it feels like being slowly, slowly suffocated. Um, Hashtag relatable. That with the usual jokes about being greedy, fickle, unreliable, and the way you tend to get labelled as hedonistic. Mm. Um, either that or people decide that you don't exist. My current partner is a straight cis male, what, uh, which my mother takes to be uh, as... A sign that I am cured. So that's fun. Rant over. Um, We've got an episode on bisexuality coming up. Yeah, Charlie. we're going to do uh, bisexuality next. Um, I want to just like caveat and say like, sometimes what I, 
I think I talked a little bit about the idea of straight passing this episode. You and did. it's like, it's not what I mean. Um, I, I just think bisexual people do suffer from uh, that feeling, that suffocating feeling. Mm. Um, and they're valid uh, and different. Yeah, and to, to shout out to some of those feelings that Charlie had, like the the prevalence of like gold star lesbians. Oh yeah, and and it's not unique to the lesbian community. I'm I'm fairly certain probably bisexual men experience that. Like if they say, oh, they're bisexual, or they've been with women. <sighs> no, and um, I there cannot remember a... the name of the artist. It's really bugging me. Uh, by a a cis, uh, gay comic artist who a number of his partners have been gay trans men. And the amount of grief he gets from other cis gay men yeah. about, oh, but you have sex with somebody with a vagina. Do you want to know a horrible joke? Always. That, uh, you hear? So you know Gold Star lesbian? Yeah. There's Gold Star gay. Okay. There is also a term called Platinum Star gay oh. for gay people who are C-sectioned, if you can believe that. Holy shit balls. Yep. Really? Yep. They have literally never had any contact. And that's seen oh. as more like pure and desirable. Oh my fucking god. The association of sexuality with genitalia is abhorrent and stupid and out of date and gross and yes. very harmful. Yes. Um Laura K. Buzz recently did um a really good thread on Twitter talking about um trans women and being uh, attracted to to start talking a little bit about that very thing about like the expectations and her own feelings on the matter and it was a really insightful thing to read you really should follow Laura Kebaz anyway mm. like uh, um, she's really interesting and um, also if you like um, Nintendo leaks yeah. <laughs> but yeah Laura's great for uh, always has really insightful stuff to say yeah so um I just, I, you know, I feel like a little bit of an open wound in these episodes because I'm, I'm saying things that I might instantly regret. But yeah. I just want everyone to know that you're all valid and I love you and I, yeah. you'd get on with me, I promise. Yeah. Um, finally, Consum- we're going to end this episode. Yeah, we're going to... With like, a bit of fun. A palate cleanser for you, our <laughs> listeners, and for us before we go stuff ourselves with Chinese food. Okay, shall we um, take it in turns to ask... Uh, the first one's a big one, though. Okay, we'll try and be quick then. Okay, um, answer in tweet form. Yeah, these are these are all from Evan on the Facebook group. So thank you, Evan. Okay, question one: What are some of the things you are grateful for? Uh, the Penumbra podcast, my friendship with Hamish, uh, doing this podcast, um, the fact that I can get so many different kinds of junk food within walking distance <laughs> of my house, uh, Netflix, um, a solid broadband connection, D and D. Um, I'm grateful for all of our listeners. Um, I'm grateful for my friendship with Jade. I'm grateful that um, a lot of conventions happen within a short train ride away from me, and mm-hmm. that's very lucky to have. Cool. What are some? Th- uh, what is the worst thing you have ever eaten? <laughs> um, no offense, American candy. <laughs> In particular, Twizzlers. I could not believe. I could not believe it. Um, Can you believe? <laughs> no. Um, I just, I couldn't believe it. Um, I genuinely struggle to think, because I think my brain likes to block out bad things I've eaten so mm. I don't have to revisit. Um, so I'm genuinely not sure what the worst... I've definitely had some stuff that's been bad texture, but I, I can't think, so apologies for that one. Um, is it me? Uh, yeah, you ask a question. Uh, what's a bad habit uh, you'll have 
uh, that you want to get rid of? I wish I didn't bite my nails, but it's a stimming thing as much as it is a bad habit and I hate it. I also wish I was tidier. You? Um, secret eating. Mm. <laughs> or just like picking up food on the way back from, like picking up snacks on the mm. way back from places without oh, thinking. I'm also not as finicky about my dental hygiene as I should be because I get mm. stimulation issues with like toothbrushes and it's horrible and I wish I could get over it. Again, autism. Um, can y'all dance? Can y'all sing? Um, <laughs> I feel like I, so I used to be in a band yeah. as the singer. Yeah. But I don't know what happened. Yeah. But like, I just can't, I just, I can only sing in a very particular way. Yeah. Um, and I used to love dancing, but that was all before the secret eating snack stuff yeah. that I mentioned before. I love singing. I don't think I'm necessarily the best. I'm not bad at it. I just, I love, I, I love karaoke. I love yeah. singing along to stuff. I get joy out of singing. I get joy out of dancing. I don't particularly want anybody to see me dancing. <laughs> I can only sing an 80s power ballad voice. Love it. But so could only 80s power ballad people. Yeah. Um, you're quite, yeah. Uh, what's your favourite art? Art form or piece of art? I mean, everything's art, so... We are art. Yeah. Um, My favourite art form for me personally is probably movies. That's the thing that I tend to respond to, or theatre. Theatre is also my sort of favourite art form. Um, I think it's film for yeah. me, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's a piece of media you wish had a fandom that doesn't? <sighs> That's a good question. Almost everything has a fandom these days. It's finding it. Hmm. Um, I guess uh, me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Boston hope- included. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, the actual play podcast that will come out soon. Uh, I'm hoping that will get a fandom. Mm. Um, I guess I would. I, I guess that's because I haven't tried to find it, but because um, I know the fandom is out there because there's like fanfic being produced and mm. stuff like that. So yeah, it, it's just a matter of finding it. Um. Uh, do you consider yourself fashion conscious? (laughs) No, I dress like a garbage person. I like fashion. Like, I see some things go, that's amazing. I look at certain dapper looks and I would love to wear that. Most of the time I dress in, like, well, all of my jeans have gone now. I I wear, yeah, no. Um, I'm going to say I'm very fashion conscious. But... uh, Showing that off is restricted by... Budget! Budget, uh, constantly fluctuating weight. Yeah. Um, I have this image of what I want to look like. And very very clearly. Um, And I I do know what looks bad, but sometimes I have to just dress that way. And sometimes I don't give a shit. Yeah. And lastly, what is your favourite food? I like so many different kinds of food. I like lots of food. Same... Um, but because we're just about to have some, I'm going to say big piles of noodles and Chinese food. Yep. Um, I absolutely adore risotto. Oh, wow. Like, I love risotto. But really, give me a few different forms of potato, <laughs> and I am a very happy starch-filled jade. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for those questions. That's what we needed at the end of this. Yeah, thank you, even Heart opening episode. Um, if you'd like to send in questions for the next episode, uh, they can be about anything. Think about questions that are to do with marginalised identity, but also fun things like that it was really good. Yes. Send them to boxnoncluded at gmail.com or boxnoncluded on Twitter or boxnoncluded on Tumblr or the boxnoncluded Facebook group, which is where all of these questions did come from. And is great. Yes. Um, you can also ask us things directly. I am at Hamish Steele on Twitter. And I'm at Jade Oxford Rose. And finally, as always, we want to thank Graham Waller, Audio Overlord and Master of the Sound Waves for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. But until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anyone box you in. And you are queer enough. Yes, you are. <laughs>